Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A midweek vancast for you, and full disclosure to the VIPs, Tom, we are recording this ahead of the big Abbotsford unveil. So congratulations to the Canucks. An incredible choice. I think they absolutely nailed it with their team name. Absolutely. <laughs> I was right there for them. And uh, and congratulations on whatever it is. Exactly. The Canucks. <laughs> yeah, or one of the other options that was out there. <laughs> um, I think it's Canucks. So congratulations to the Abbotsford Canucks on having the same name as the NHL team. Uh, we'll chance that. Sorry, sorry to our producer, Jeff Demet, in the event that he has to cut it to make me look less foolish. Uh, all in a day's work for him, though. No, no, this all stays in. This is the good stuff. Uh, hey, <laughs> hey, speaking of announcements, I just want to take a sec here, because when I made my announcement that I was leaving the VanCast at the end of July, I wasn't in a position then to uh, go a whole lot further. Yeah, I couldn't go a whole lot further. We were still trying to hammer out uh, the other end of things. It's out there now, and people have probably seen or heard. Uh, I have accepted a full-time offer from North Beach Agency, which is the the digital company behind Sakaris and Price. So uh, a lot of people have reached out and congratulated me, and it's been well-received, and that's terrific. It means a lot. Uh, but I've also had some people saying, like, okay, yeah, but why can't you just keep the VanCast going? And so I wanted to be completely upfront, uh, full disclosure for the VIPs, that I tried. <laughs> I wanted to keep the VanCast, but... Look, this is a business decision on their part. They made me a generous offer. I didn't have a whole lot of full-time offers, and full-time is the key here, that as much fun as this is doing this three times a week with you, uh, this is a side hustle. And when I had full-time work at 1040, it was an incredible side hustle. 
And, you know, we smashed out two a week and then we got to three a week. But it's always been a freelance thing for me, as is my appearances on Donnie and Dolly and 650 and when I was with Rob Fay. And it meant the world to me that those guys, all those other shows, you know, wanted me to be a part and they wanted to help keep me in the market and keep my voice out there. Like, that meant a ton to me in the wake of, of February 9th. But those are all freelance things. And I said this when I made my announcement on Securus and Price that, you know, when a company gets rid of you, they stop paying you. And so I've been able to freelance here for the last bunch of weeks because, or months, because I was still getting paid out by Bell. Well, that's coming to an end here. And so for the hockey season ahead, I had to figure out how do I make this work? I got a family to feed. And so ultimately, uh, the idea that North Beach basically created a full-time job for me uh, is incredible. In a time when jobs are shrinking and there's so much uncertainty and volatility in the market, and they came to me and said, like, look, we think we can make this work. Here's what we're thinking. What do you think? Uh, We've got some plans that we'll roll out. So ultimately, the catch on their end was I had to bring all of my work under their tent. And that's why I wasn't able to to maintain this role on the VanCast, even though I tried. I said, like, can we keep the VanCast even, you know, once a week and I'll let Tom figure out something for the other uh, show? And they just said, look, like, here's our offer, but to make this whole thing sing, uh, we want you to bring all your work under our banner. And so ultimately, that's what I decided. It was in the best interest for me and my family. And so that's the end of the story. It uh, starts up after Labor Day. I'm going to try to disappear a little bit in August and uh, then hit the ground running and you know, as I said uh, at other times, and certainly I've talked to you about this, like, I, I'm really excited. A, it's full-time work in the biz that I love, but it gets me back around the rink. Like, I'll be back at practices. I'll be there at most of the games, and, you know, I can get into the face of uh, Travis Green and some of the players and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, again, just keep doing what I, I've been doing, what I love to do. And so, I'm excited to be back around you guys and yeah. all the people that do this. You know, not just colleagues, but friends as well. So... Uh, anyways, that's just th- th- enough about me, but I just I wanted to sort of clarify that because there was some uncertainty about why I couldn't keep the podcast going ultimately to make the deal work, to accept a full-time offer and a, and a good one at that. Uh, I had to agree that, yeah, I'll bring my work uh, under all, their banner. Thank you for uh, for everything, but I have a big question to ask you. Um, was this a elaborate ruse to get out of vacuuming? The, the, the VIPs need to know. <laughs> I did the vacuum. Um, secondly, I appreciate you clarifying that this wasn't just you uh, getting sick of listening to me rant on and on and on. Um, <laughs> no, of course uh, you know, not. I, I, I know that a lot of people were wondering how can this, how can JPAT stand this fucking guy? So, uh, but no, the congratulations, uh, honestly, congratulations to you and to North Beach. Um, you know, at the end of the day, with the rupture that this market dealt with in the media space over the past eight months. Um, you know, having something purely local, having something that's self-started, um, like North Beach, like what they're trying to do over at Sakaris and Price, which, you know, I still contribute to. We're, we're rivals, but we're also buddies. Um, you know, it's great. Like, I'm rooting for you, genuinely. And, and not just because I'm a fan of, of you, J-Pat, but also because I think it's important. The project is important, and I hope it takes off, and I know it will with the talent that you guys are loading up with. So uh, it's great to see, uh, even as even as I'm sad to lose you. And, and you'll vouch for me on this. When, when you called me to, to let me know the news, 
one of my first reactions was, you know, well, it's important that we have you at the rink. Like, it's important, <laughs> it's almost more important that you're there doing what you do so well um, for this market in general than it is that you and I get to do this this project that we've enjoyed so much together. Um, I mean, that was one of my first reactions. And, and it was one of my first reactions because it was true, genuine. And uh, I think the fans will be best served by having you at the rink, gathering audio, asking the tough questions, the stuff you do so well. So we're happy for you, J-Pat, but, you know, obviously we'll miss you a ton here. Well, we do like talking about ourselves here on the pod, but uh, there is some hockey stuff that we should probably get to as well, uh, because we're starting to see the wheels spin in the hockey world, and yeah. uh, they're spinning pretty quickly in, uh, in Minnesota and Edmonton and Chicago earlier in the week, and you know, I think that there is an element of the fan base here that is a little impatient. And, and look, it's understandable. This team needs a whole lot of help. We document that three times a week. People just watch them finish last in the North Division. Uh, this fan base also sat through, let's be honest, uh, what was a pretty devastating offseason, even if it wasn't in the summer last year, but after the bubble and Thanksgiving weekend and all the pending UFAs that walked away. And, uh, and so... You know, I, I'm sort of feeling it as other markets are making some things happen here that there is this um, sense that time is going to run out again uh, on the Vancouver Canucks. But I think it's important that we point out as we record this on Wednesday morning, like the roster freeze and the protected list don't have to get to uh, the league. Yeah. They kick in on, on Saturday. So there is still time here. And really the way I look at it, and maybe you see it differently, Dom, but, but this is essentially like the days leading up to the NHL trade deadline in season where... You know, the phone lines are ringing, I'm sure. And you talked to Jim yesterday. You know, he's making the calls, as he should, but there's still time. And if prices are high here on the Wednesday, they may drop uh, before teams actually have to submit those lists and lock things in for the National Hockey League expansion draft. It's a really interesting dynamic right now because the prices are super high around the league. I've got multiple league sources from various teams uh, singing from the same hymn book on that. I think the Canucks have felt that way too. Um, not a surprise that Hamannick and Edler received renewed offers as the club, you know, reapproached those negotiations with some vigor based on what they're seeing. And and that's leverage too, right? That's leverage too. It's all positioning. It's all uh, waiting to the, t- to the deadline, working to a deadline. And we'll see what comes out of this. But at this juncture, I think the fundamental fact is that the idea that there'd be significant incentives for NHL clubs to redistribute their assets ahead of the expansion freeze. So far, that has not come to pass. And as a result, uh, you know, the Canucks are sort of looking at potentially not being able to do something that I think they'd certainly hope to do. Uh, and, and no question they'd hope to do, right? This was a major, a major opportunity that they identified, that we identified, that this market's been talking about for a long time. The club made the Madison Bowie deal in part to preserve flexibility ahead of the expansion process. Um, like this has been on their mind, top of mind, in how they've functioned for six months. And, you know, now the rubber's meeting the road. And you, to this point, it, there just doesn't seem to be a significant market for these types of trades. We've only seen one around the entire NHL, right? I mean, the Duncan Keith trade, I guess, has some expansion implications, but it's 1D for 1D, fundamentally, right? It's not It's not really an expansion redistribution deal. This is not Arvidsson. The Arvidsson deal is the only example we've seen. I think that was an example of a team trading a guy at a cut rate price, but that deal was never going to make sense for Vancouver considering their cap situation. And so we'll see. But yeah, 
time is getting late uh, and there just doesn't appear to be a ton of appetite for these types of deals. Although, of course, a lot can change between now and when the rosters, in fact, freeze on Saturday. You know, and it's funny, we referenced that evolving hockey Seattle mock draft the other day on Mm -hmm. the last podcast we did. And they had Seattle taking Caleb Jones from Edmonton. So I don't think the Oilers made the Keith deal because they were worried about losing Caleb Jones. But it is interesting that, you know, just a little wrinkle in that was a player that Evolving Hockey at least thought that Seattle might pluck from the Edmonton Oilers had he been uh, on their list of available players. Now, you have uh, in a piece that's posted now at The Athletic, uh, sort of and a fun exercise and a great read of going back and taking lessons from the Vegas expansion draft and sort of applying them to what we might see here from a Canuck perspective. And you've really, you've kind of got the wheels spinning in my head here now because uh, I'm sort of grappling with this idea of if you're the Canucks and you knew that for a second round draft pick. And a future, a future second round draft pick, not the 2017 one. Yeah. Not this year. Oh, no, not the 2017 Oh, sorry. One, no, not the 2021, 2021 one. Uh, like the equip, the, the, <laughs> The, the example yes, that yeah. I gave is a 2022 second to, for the right. Penguins to lock in losing Marc-Andre Fleury and his cap hit. That's the analogy. So that would be like the equivalent of a 2024 second round pick. And you can lock in losing Braden Holpe's $4.3 million in cap space. I think that's a no-brainer. If you if, if Seattle's open to that, I think you got to do it if you're Vancouver. The, to me, it's a really straightforward one. It's just like a future second and we get $4.3 million in additional space. I mean, that's, it's not a game changer, but then you're looking at something like 12 or 13 million in cap space to play with in trying to find two middle six guys and two defenders like that, that all of a sudden becomes doable, J-Pat. Like that becomes, you can maybe even get some really good players. That's, that's a big deal for me. Right. Now it makes almost too much sense from a Canucks perspective. So I'm not sure that Seattle's going to go along for, right. for that ride. But, you know, if you play that out. It just, it takes any uncertainty that's left. Not that there's, you know, I mean, the Canucks aren't at risk of losing a really great piece when we've talked about the fact that, you know, right now they're probably going to protect, protect Matthew Highmore. But, but it, it just, or in their or mind, Colin. it, or yeah. possibly Colin. But in, in their mind, it would just free up, uh, the uncertainty. They would know, like, it's locked in. It's going to be Holpe and a sec, a future second rounder. And then that's it. Now you got to find a backup. So, Let's say a million bucks. You're going to spend a million bucks. But still, like as you point out, if you're out from under the 4.3 cap commitment, but all of the cash as well, even if you devote a mil to a backup, like there's still $3 million to play with yep. there. Like could the Canucks use a $3 million player? Hell yeah. Absolutely they could. So uh, I like that. I, I like that idea an awful lot. Now, you know, the problem there is, and unfortunately – you know, it's like one of those diagrams that, like, if you answered yes to the last question, go here. If you answered no, you got to go over here. Uh, if you think it's good that the Canucks are willing to part with a second round draft pick, then you run into this roadblock of, you know, Jim constantly talks about wanting more picks, right? And, and how much he likes and values his draft picks and the idea of them moving off another draft pick. Uh, you know, that concerns me. But again, if it's a few years down the road, like, who knows who's making the call then? Is Jim still in the picture? All of that kind of stuff. Like, it, it may be in his best interest to try to massage this thing to make that kind of deal happen. Um, you know, does he and does this front office have the finesse, do you think, to pull off that kind of trade? Not easy, right? It's not easy. And this is a finesse 
10 days in the National Hockey League, right? Like around expansion. Because as I was going over this exercise, first first of all, there's there's an update that I was saving for the podcast that I just want to give really quickly, which is, you know, sure. I, I'm still working on the precise identity of it. I, I am not entirely sure if my projected protected list is dead on and that the Canucks will protect Matthew Highmore or if ultimately they will protect Cole Lind instead. I'm still sort of going back and forth. But one thing I do have a sense of is that the Canucks are not going to the wire with internal debates on the composition of their protected list. Like, I, I think they have a really good idea of what they're going to submit on Saturday at this point. Um, obviously, that could change in the event that they're able to add a player in a trade, but I think they know. And so um, that's an interesting sort of factor here is this is a functionally set. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is the reason I really wanted to do this article is that we've been so focused on the opportunity ahead of the roster freeze, but the opportunity to shed salary in the expansion process is valuable too, right? And if there was a way that the Canucks could, you know, for the cost of a couple picks, both add a player at an affordable cap hit for next season, right? And shed salary. I mean, for me, that's well worth doing. Like, you don't want to have a deficit of cap hits when you're a team that has a top 10 pick, obviously. But expansion is such a unique opportunity that if you have to use whatever weaponry is at your disposal to flip it to your advantage, uh, you do it. You just do it. Like, that. that's my view of it. Uh, there's such a unique opportunity here for the Canucks both to shed salary and to add an additional you know, some additional depth of talent, both things are critical needs for this club. So from my perspective, you do it if you can in both instances. And then the, the other thing I wanted to bring up too is the last time out, like the way that the expansion rules work, JPAT, teams have to take, the, the expansion outfit has to take a minimum of 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goaltenders, right? And that brings you to yeah. 26 players. So there's only really four additional picks that you have that are like flex picks, right? Where you can, you can sort of color in the lines with the creativity you demand. And you're not just being like number two is red. <laughs> like one of those uh, <laughs> color fill in pages in the color book. Um, last time out, the Vegas golden Knights selected 13 defensemen. They maxed the amount of defenders they could trade or they could draft. And then they made four subsequent trades of the defensemen they picked before July 1st, like the expansion process ended on the 26th. They made four trades. They, they traded four defensemen netting, you know, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Alexi Emelin, Mark Mathot went to Dallas and, you know, one other guy, whatever. And for that work, they netted two additional seconds, an additional third and an additional fifth round pick. Plus a, a goaltending prospect named Dylan Ferguson, who's actually Vancouver based. Um, still 22. Who knows if that's a thing or not for Vegas. Um, I'm curious to see because if the Kraken track and follow a similar tactic, which, which would seem advisable considering the way that Vegas cleaned up there. I mean, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good return for just sort of the surplus defenders you took, right? Um, If the Kraken sort of follow that model, then there's also potentially opportunity on the other side of expansion too to acquire a player that maybe a team wouldn't trade you, right? 
before the freeze yeah. from the Kraken themselves, yeah. should they have a surplus at any one of their positions following their expansion process. So the, the opportunity is, you know, it runs both ways, like both sides of the street. There are opportunities for the Canucks. And honestly, there's opportunity in the middle of the road, too, if the club's willing to play in traffic and cut a side deal that helps them shed salary. Uh, it's just a really fascinating process all around. And, and I just I love sort of working through it and thinking through some of those implications, because I do think we're going to see some really interesting approaches, especially with the pressures that have been wrought by the flat cap era. Right. And that's why I say, like, I, I still think it's important to be patient with the Canucks. And I know people, their patience is running thin. But uh, as you say, like, it's not all about what happens this week. This week is opportunity, but there are opportunities. If they get to the end of the month and all they've done is lost a player in expansion, gone through the draft, used their picks, and then sort of weighed into free agency, then, yeah, that doesn't qualify as aggressive uh, and that's the word out of Jim Benning's mouth. So, you know, I find it fascinating. Like we've been talking it up forever. We're now on the 14th of July. We're basically at the midway mark of the month and nothing has happened. Like the Canucks roster is still intact from the end of the season. So they haven't been aggressive yet, nope. but that doesn't mean that they won't be. And I'm, I'm prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt. But every day that goes by, you know, we're that much closer to this crazy compressed window where things simply have to happen. And the bottom line in all of this, Tom, is they got to get better. And so let's see how it plays out. I mean, that's all we really can do is is sort of sit back here and, and wait, knowing that some things have to happen for this hockey club. Because he, like, if Jim states that, you know, making the playoffs is the goal and his job probably depends on it, then then he needs to be aggressive and he does have to make things happen to get this team in a better spot. They're not in a better spot yet, but he still has a couple of weeks here between now and the end of the month. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right, so we await a busy next couple of weeks for the Vancouver Canucks and all the teams in the National Hockey League. And it's kind of funny that uh, this has now overshadowed, I think is the word, uh, the, the Pedersen and Hughes talks that obviously, I don't, you don't put those things on the back burner. I'm not sure where no. the Canucks are putting them. You don't put them on the back burner. But right now in the lead up to uh, protected lists and those types of things, it just it kind of feels like uh, those have moved to the fore here. Uh, but you and Harm with a piece that was posted at the athletic on Monday, reaching out to five agents around the national hockey league, just to sort of 
suss them out, get a better feel for you know their thinking on where these contracts are are ultimately going to go. And and you point out these are not people attached to these discussions in any way. They nope. haven't represented either of these players, so these are independent voices, but certainly guys with vested interests. Because all agents, I mean, there's comparables, and it could affect their clients down the road. And I would think that all agents worth their salt are paying pretty damn close attention <laughs> to what's happening around the National Hockey League. So uh, some really interesting, I thought some really interesting comments. Uh, you know, there was uh, a fair bit of agreement, but there were a couple uh, comments that led me to think that uh, there are a few that view things a little differently than uh, than the pack as well. I'm, I'm also pretty sure that if I did the same exercise with NHL teams, like I don't think the numbers that were presented on average would have been significantly lower right like i don't think anyway whatever the the these age agents obviously have a bias toward players right and seeing players get paid there's no question about that i thought that was pretty obvious in in putting it together but fundamentally we end up with an average of just over seven five for petterson maybe a little bit high maybe you can quibble with that 250k either way uh range from 7.2 million to 8 million in terms of the predicted outcome and for Hughes, the range was 5.1 million through to, you know, about 6.5 and an average of just under six, which seems about right. Like that smells right, considering how wildly Hughes has outscored, you know, the, the bridge deal comparables uh, like Sergeyev, McAvoy and Wierenski, who all sort of ended up in that three times five range. So, uh, look, I thought it was an interesting exercise just getting experts talking about sort of what they'd expect uh, based on the market and and perhaps a little bit more optimi- optimistic than what you'd get talking to professional negotiators on the other side. But I thought there were some fascinating comments. And uh, and really, really, I thought, you know, the, the point of the exercise is to entertain and, and inform the VIPs. And, and I think we did that. I, I really don't think it needed an additional note you know, being like, agents are biased. It's like, of course, agents. <laughs> we all know what agents do. Like, we're grownups, especially at The Athletic. If you're if you're subscribing to our work, I, I'm pretty sure you're a super informed audience. So, um, no, I was really happy with that article. Uh, enjoyed the reaction. And, uh, and you know, I, I think the fact is, is that the Canucks were optimistic at one point that they might get Pedersen and Hughes both done before the meat of the offseason kicked in. I still think there's a chance that that happens. I think there's a better chance that it happens for Pedersen than that it happens for Hughes. Um, no surprise there. Only one of them's offer sheet eligible, right? There's a different level of urgency. And also one of them's playing in a much more established marketplace, right? Pedersen's market value is relatively prescribed. We've got a whole wave of, of comparable forwards who've signed both pre and post the pandemic um, you know, for in and around that 7 million range. I mean, Braden Point and Matthew Barzell, 3.675 and 3.7. Like, that's the comparables. Uh, with Hughes, it's just a little different. We just have never seen, honestly, we've just never seen a defenseman who scored like Hughes did over the course of his ELC ever sign a second contract. Like, we won't have any comparables for that until Kale McCarr and Adam Fox sign. And even those guys aren't really comparable since one of them won the Calder and one of them won the Norris, right? So, like, Hughes will never have comparables. You can understand why that discussion is particularly complicated, fraught, as it were, uh, which is why I do think, you know, the, the extension for 40 could still get done before the market opens later this month. 
I'd be pretty surprised at this point if that's the case for Hughes. Uh, but never say never. Uh, it's active. Sides are still working agreeably and hard together. It is definitely not on the back burner in terms of the Canucks' day-to-day. All right. I, I had to laugh at uh, Agent 1. Uh, because, look, we get crapped on all the time about uh, you guys are so negative and you dwell on the past and everything else. And then, you know, you seek out just independent input from agents, but people that are in this business and, mm-hmm. and have a sense of what's going on. And then Agent 1 says, with the Barzil comparable specifically, I think people will look at Pedersen and think he's more valuable to his franchise than Barzil is to his. There's that. And Vancouver will sometimes overpay. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so it's, it's no just, secret. It's no secret, I, right? Like the Right, but I think it's important that people understand, like, it is that's, the per- yeah. that's the perception in the hockey world. And maybe it'll change this year. Maybe they won't dole out the contracts that they have in the past. Maybe they've learned from their mistakes. But that's the thinking in the hockey world about Vancouver and the way this front office goes about its business. For sure. Well, and there's, like, a dissonance sometimes between the way that this market talks about the team versus the rest of the industry, right? Like there's when, when we say things that are negative at all, right. Or critical, even there's sometimes this controversial reaction in the Vancouver marketplace. But if you have those conversations within the industry, it's just accepted fact. Right. And so, yeah, no, it's nice to be able to bring a, uh, provide a window into that. Um, You know, the Canucks, the Canucks have, some work to do. I, I, there should be no secret about this, right? Like there should be no secret that uh, this organization's taken some reputational hits uh, around the industry over the past, you know, half decade, but certainly over the past year as well. Um, you know, you're seeing that play out in real time on a variety of fronts and it'll be, you know, not something that shapes this off season, but it's something certainly where the Canucks do need to dig up, as it were, <laughs> with some of the work that they take care of and, and some of their results next season. Um, you know, and look, uh, despite the conversation on Twitter, I do think that that level of consumer confidence, to, to use a classic sports radio term, um, you know, I do think that exists for the majority of Canucks fans in this marketplace right now, even if you know, sometimes the extremes make it seem less obvious uh, within the online communities that the conversation sort of unfolds obsessively in. Um, you know, one thing like I've noticed, and I don't know if you share this anecdotal view, J-Pat, but I can't remember a lead up to an off season where I felt like there was less buzz around the Canucks. And maybe that's because it's July and the weather's beautiful here. Um, you know, there's a variety of reasons for it potentially, but doesn't it feel like most of the time when you're, you know, four days out from a expansion process and, you know, 10 days out from the market opening, like there's like buzz. There certainly was last October and it just doesn't feel like there's much of that at all right now in this marketplace. Like it doesn't seem like anyone but the hardcores are super engaged with what this team might do. We're super excited about the possibilities. Um, yeah, and maybe that's cap space related, maybe it's weather related, maybe it's just time of year, but it's something that I've certainly noticed and, and sort of noted prominently in, in sort of my interactions with fans is it just doesn't feel like there's a critical mass of interest the way there usually is. Yeah, I would share that. I think it'll pick up around the more traditional dates of the draft itself, especially with the Canucks holding a top 10 pick, and then free agency 
you know, expansion doesn't happen every year. I think the fact that there isn't a ton of intrigue, and I don't think there's a ton of worry. Let's be honest. Like, whoever the Canucks lose, it's not a cornerstone piece. Right. There are other franchises that, you know, their fan bases are probably freaking out a little bit because they're going to, like, you know, you look at, and we've talked about this in the past, but, you know, the Minnesota Wild, the moves that they made yesterday to buy out Parisian Suter, obviously it allows them to protect Matt Dumba now. Um, and, you know, they did all of the manipulations uh, for the Vegas draft and still ended up coming out losers, losing Eric Halla, and it cost them Alex Tuck as well. So, you know, it feels to me like the Minnesota Wild uh, lose sleep over these expansion drafts. Ultimately, the Canucks, whether, you know, whether it's... Whether it's Gadjevich, whether it's Lind, you package them with Lucas Pisa, and that's the cost of two rounds of expansion for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think I share it. I think people right now, people are flocking to get away for the first time in forever yes. and actually have some summer vacation. Uh, you know, and so that probably peels some of the casual fans out of the mix a little bit. I think they come back, but I, I would agree with you that. You know, it's just, when it's things just are, it just feels weird. It just nope. feels weird. And I, I think part of it is too that just the hockey calendar being tilted totally. into July. Um, you know, people are still sort of processing all of that. Hey, speaking of processing things, uh, we should tell the VIPs. Uh, our intention was to have Harm on the pod today as a guest. We wanted to get Harm on, and and we will before I'm done because I want to have one more pod certainly with with Harmon. And you guys wrote this piece on the agents and Pedersen and Hughes. Uh, Harm under the weather though, so. You're going to need him. Like, this is this is go time. So, we're letting Harm rest up, right? Yep. You got to check in on him. Yep. Make sure that uh, make sure he's back on his feet by totally. the end of the week. Get your liquids. Get your liquids, bud. <laughs> you know, heal up. Load management. We've got Harmon on a load management program. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. But uh, we'll, no, we'll make sure that we get him uh, back on here at some point. We've had him on the pod a few times and want to get him on uh, before. The best. Uh, I bid my farewell. So just wanted to throw that out there because, uh, yeah, get well, Harm. Get well, buddy. The market. The market needs you. We do. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, just before we wrap things up, uh, what did you make of Minnesota going down Buyout Boulevard with uh, both of those guys with four years and, and $10 million a piece left on, on those contracts? <laughs> Big brass ones from Bill Guerin. I, I mean, it's a lot of dead space, and it's going to be really tough to navigate when, you know, in, in a s- series of three seasons in which guys like Erickson Eck, Fiala, and Kiprizov are going to be prime-aged, right? Like, it, it's going to be really tough to navigate. But I do think, fundamentally, this was about turning the page culturally for a wild team that 
you know, hasn't really accomplished anything over the nine years that Sutter and or Suter and Parise were the face of the franchise. I think they believe in this young group. I think they're committed to doing a slow cook build around Kaprizov uh, and their prospect sort of system. Um, I think they have faith that they can draft their way around some of these dead space issues, but man, these dead space issues are going to be massive. Uh, And I do think fundamentally too, that the dead space problem was secondary, like the liability represented by recapture in the event that either player retired. I do think that that was secondary to the cultural issues at play um, and the way that the wild want to build a team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're in for a really tough sled here in terms of fleshing out a roster and fleshing out, you know, credible depth around the pieces they have. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. But, you know, there was an awful lot going on. They made some really dramatic moves to solve some really significant issues. And, you know, good on them. Like, that is a big brass balls move from Bill Guerin, who at this point now will hang up and listen. <laughs> uh, Bill Guerin is going to be on with Mike Russo on Straight from the Source here at The Athletic. So uh, you may want to check that out and hear from Bill Guerin in his own words. I know Ryan Suter wasn't that thrilled with hearing from uh, Bill Guerin <laughs> in his own words. But but let me say, that the way the story was portrayed, I didn't totally buy it. Because it said it started with Guerin phoning Suter and call went to voicemail. And then Suter played this card of completely blindsided. If you've got an iPhone, like... You see that you had a missed call. Like, are you not looking at your missed calls? I'm, I, I, no, maybe not. I don't know. I always see my missed I calls. I'm pretty, I'm pretty scrupulous about checking on I it. I think most people are. They put it right there on your screen. Like, it's hard to miss. That totally. you've, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Anyways, well, it was no, a great story. Some people, some people don't. I don't keep my, my missed calls on my lock screen because I don't like people to, you know, I never know if I'm going to be like talking to a source while another source calls me. You know what I mean? Like I, when I get a call, I don't, I, if I miss a call, I do not see it on my lock screen. Um, no. I don't All see right. text messages on my lock screen. I'm, I'm really paranoid about information like that. So maybe he's one of those guys. Maybe he's like me. Maybe he's a former maybe. NHL PR guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we recommend that uh, if you're looking for other pod options, uh, check that out. Bill Guerin, uh, fresh off these moves, the big buyouts of Parisian suitor on with Mike Russo straight from the source. Uh, check out our comment straight section. From, straight from the dial tone. There you go, yes. <laughs> straight from Billy G's mouth. Uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app. Write and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, you're missing out on the stories that Harm and Drancer are kicking out uh, all week long here and through a busy month of July. So go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Receive a subscription for just $3.99. Per month, and when we do this again later in the week, uh, we will uh, fully know the name of the Canucks affiliate and the colors out in Abbotsford. We'll see if there's any moves out of this Canuck front office. We'll be that much closer to the roster freeze and the protection lists and everything else. So uh, it hasn't really heated up in Vancouver yet on the hockey front, but uh, it's bound to any day. And when it does, we'll be all over it right here uh, at the VanCast until the end of this month at least. Gonna miss you, bud. And then I, I should say that the van cast will carry on. Yeah, yeah. I, I step, I step aside. I'm not taking the van cast with me, so there will still be a van cast. It's just it'll have a, a different feel and a different sound, perhaps, and maybe different guests and hosts and all that kind of stuff. That's still to be determined. But <laughs> you and I, we're, you we're, and I we're will... moving from a Windstar to one of those vans with wood panels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, but we'll continue to 
push these things out three a week until the end of the month through the draft and, and free agency as well. So for Drancer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Vancast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.